this morning, John Beaumont, one of our own, uh, John and Jill and their three girls have been here for uh, a few years, two or three years at least. And uh, John uh, was in uh, the pastorate uh, leading churches for many years. And over the last several years, he uh, has started and runs Young Life in both West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas. And what God is doing over there is um, really amazing. Um, Their group is multi-ethnic and multi-class. It's been a joy to read his updates and speak to him personally. Um, And we have asked John to come and continue our series this morning on the kingdom. And we look forward uh, to John coming and bringing the word to us. Um, it is uh, it is quite a thrill to uh, to be here today. I do want to thank Chris and Richard for um, for asking uh, me to be a part of this um, series, but just to come and stand before you. Um, as Richard just mentioned, we live in uh, in Marion, Arkansas, and it's funny we have this conversation. There's a handful of us that worship here pretty regularly that are from there. That when we meet and greet during the welcome time, and we share. You know, where we live, the first question after the word Arkansas is, how long does it take you to get here? Um, and it really is only about 15 minutes. Um, we're probably closer than most, it takes less time probably than most of you in Midtown. Um, and so it was a, a number of years ago, um, as, as again Richard said, I pastored a church called First Presbyterian Church in West Memphis and um, uh, we left that and it started doing Young Life, but we didn't really have a church home for almost a year. And then it was some friends of ours who uh, knew uh, Chris and Rick from Fellowship. And they called one morning and Sunday morning and they said, Hey, we want you to come to church with us. There's this new church downtown that we want you to come to. And I remember, uh, I, I vividly remember getting dressed that morning thinking to myself, I wonder if... Today is the day we find our church home. Uh, and it was downtown church. It was on Tennessee Street. We were worshiping the long way, for those of you who were there then. Um, and we have not been anywhere since. And so it is, uh, it is a, a holy privilege that, um, that I get to stand up here before all of you today uh, and share uh, God's word with us. So before we get started, let us pray. Heavenly and gracious Father, we thank you for this morning and thank you for Uh, The rain outside, thank you for gathering us here together. And we ask that you bring your good news in both word and power, in full assurance and in the Holy Spirit. It's in the strong and sure name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. We've been looking at this series called On the Kingdom of God. And specifically looking at Matthew 13 and some parables that Jesus uh, uses to teach about the kingdom of God. Um, and, and we have seen that uh, we've kind of defined the kingdom of God for this place as the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. Now, just one real clarifying thing is that when we speak of God's power, um, it, uh, it really is a dynamic thing. Um, literally, the word means, uh, it's, it's the word dunamis, where we get our word for dynamite. And so when God's power comes in us, primarily through the Holy Spirit, it's this explosive type of power. 
It explodes the power of, of sin over us, the sin that clings so closely. It explodes that. It explodes into communities um, where his word is preached and where people are, are sent people out into their mission field. It's this explosive power that, uh, that, that happens, this exercise of God's ruling, ruling power. And so today we get the parable of the pearl merchant. And so let us now hear... The word of the Lord. Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. The um, the first thing really worth kind of saying about this this parable is um, kind of rather self evident, um, but it's this that uh, the kingdom of God is findable. Um, it already exists. It's this it's 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 a findable um, thing. I thought of of other um, parables that Jesus uses to 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 teach, and a lot of it has to do with finding things. When we look at Luke 15, there's three parables in that, in that chapter. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And it's, it was interesting to me that um, when, when he, the shepherd, found the lost sheep, when he found it, he put it on his shoulders rejoicing. When, when the woman found the, the, the lost coin, she called her friends and said, I have found the coin that I had lost. And the lost son was lost and is found. And even last week, when Chris uh, was speaking about the treasure hidden in the field, uh, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. It is a findable. It's findable. It already exists um, within the within the Beaumont home, within just kind of our little family unit. I I really only have three jobs. Um, Jill does everything else. But I've got three things that I primarily do. Um, the first one is when, when kind of things go bump in the night, I'm the guy that, I'm the one that goes and, ex- and investigates. There's never any problems, none ever. Uh, but I'm always the one that gets up and goes and looks for whatever fell or whatever. So I, I, I go search out those things. Um, the other thing is that I kill all the bugs in the house. <laughs> Um, and I'm telling you, American snipers got nothing on me on this because I, I'm just I can I can do it. I go kill them half the time; they're already dead anyway. So, I, but I take credit for it. Um, and the third thing is I find stuff. Um, I will find and pretty much everything in the house. Where's my keys? Where's my wallet? Where's my purse? Where's a book? Where's a pencil? Where's this and that? And 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 I just find it. I don't know. I'm tending to think it's a spiritual gift that that I can find these things. It's not in the fruit of the Spirit, but it may have been at one time. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Um, it's not as if it takes any great skill to do this. It's not as if it, it, it requires uh, really pretty much anything. It's just if it's in the house, I know it's there. And you just keep looking until you find it. Well, I think sometimes we have in our head this, this thing of, oh, we have to... We have to uh, be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to grow. Well, it's just too big. It's too hard. It's too. There's, there's got to be all of the. You, you need to have. You need to have a degree to do that. You have to have this type of certification to do this. You need to have, you know, your special decoder ring to do this. You have to have some special skills. But, but I think 
We don't. Because the kingdom of God is findable. The merchant goes out in search of fine pearls, who upon finding one of great value, it is findable. God, it, it already exists. And, and, and so what this tells us is that um, we never get to a place before God does. We never, um, if, if we want to start a new ministry, or we want, to, we want to start something to grow the kingdom, no matter what we do, God's already there. He's already at work. Whether we see it or not, He's already at work. We follow. Always. We can't get in front of God. I'm reminded of the, of the story of Moses when he was, um, in Exodus 33, when he was... Um, he and God were having this conversation, and Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see my glory, but this is what you'll do. I'm going to, he puts him in a, in a corner. He puts him in a cleft in a rock. And, and God passes by, and then Moses can sees his back. He sees God's back. God's always out in front of us. He's always existing before we ever get there. Now, I think sometimes... What God is doing in a community or in our lives is He is creating that need. He is creating um, a vacuum, if you will. He's creating a need in a community that's to be filled with a gospel-centered, kingdom-focused ministry. Young Life, for example, as Richard said, I work for Young Life. And Young Life started in Memphis in 1943, I think. And, but it didn't come to Crittenden County until about 2007 or 8. And, and it was because there was a, a recognized need in the community that although there are a lot of churches, it's just like it is here, a lot of churches with a lot of youth groups, there were, there were, there were hundreds and hundreds of kids that were falling through these cracks that, didn't, that weren't a part of churches, youth groups. It was this need, it was this, this, this vacuum. And so, then this ministry came in, stepped into that ministry. God is already at work. He's already at work in us. He's already at work in a community. And it's our job to look for it. And to find it. Because it's findable. And this leads to, to kind of the second part of this, that finding the kingdom uh, involves a sacrifice. Look back at this text. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. See, so, you now follow me here because... In order for us to engage the kingdom, to participate in it, we have to give up something of ourselves to do that. Because if God is already at work in a community and we search and we find it, then it, the ministry, the kingdom, sets our agenda for our participation in it. It's not the other way around. Far too many times we, we walk in with, this is what I want to do. I want to do this, 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 whatever those things are. And now I'm just going to squeeze my way in to a community. I'm going to squeeze my way into to a ministry. I'm going, to, I'm going to set the agenda. And the agenda that I have is over and above whatever God may or may not be doing in a community. 
I think sometimes good-natured and maybe well-intended, a lot of times this is where um, organizations uh, get into trouble. Whether it's um, whether it's following political leaders or whether it's following social justice groups or whether it's all of these things, it's it's a group of people coming together saying, "This is what we are going to do." At the exclusion of everything else. This is what we are going to do to create a kingdom. But the kingdom is something that we engage. It's not something that we create. We participate in it through God's grace and his mercy. We participate. We don't create it. Now, I can speak only for myself that I've never had the thought of, oh, I'm going to create a kingdom. I mean, those words have never probably entered my head, much less come out of my mouth. But in a sense, I do create it by how I go about living in the kingdom. It's not so much the sacrifice. It is a sacrifice of time. It is a sacrifice of money sometimes. But I find it's much more a sacrifice of control. It's much more a sacrifice of comfort zones. It's much more a sacrifice of fear. Of, of, of just not wanting, not, not engaging, not taking that bold step into what is unknown. I remember one time, actually Richard and I were having lunch uh, two or three years ago, and we sat down and I said, well, how, how are things going at church? And I just never forget his response. He just shook his head and he's like, I don't really know. And it wasn't as if he didn't know. It was that so much of what was happening here at that time was just out of his control. It was just out of his realm of thought. It was just like, it's wonderful and it's amazing, but I don't even really know what's happening. It's a sacrifice of control and it's a sacrifice of fear. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I get so... Uh, wrapped up in my own little world that I don't even want to open the door to step out of that fear. Henry Nowen uh, wrote a book called The Wounded Healer. Um, and it's a book for ministers, but it really, uh, I think, speaks to, uh, to what we're talking about today. Um, he says, what does it mean to be a minister in contemporary society? And all of us can read that as someone who engages our culture, as a missionary, if you will. He's quoting somebody else, and he says, A door opens to me, and I go in, and am faced with a hundred closed doors. Any new insight that suggested an answer led me to many new questions, which remained unanswered. But I wanted to at least avert the temptation of not entering any doors at all, out of fear of the closed ones. How I read this... There's a door in front of us. It's an opportunity door. It's a door that says, yes, I'm going to engage this. Yes, I want to, for example, um, I want to help uh, those who are in poverty. But I'm standing here, the door's right here, but I know there are a hundred closed doors behind that one open one. I know there's all these things, but I, and I don't know what doors those are going to lead me to, and I don't know where that's going to go, and I don't know how that's going to be taken. I don't know the conversations they're going to have to be. I really probably have to have some type of training to do those types of things. This is really kind of getting kind of a scary, and, and I don't even want to engage that, so I don't even go through the one door. 
Because that thing that we fear so much, in fact, is not even a thing to be fearful of. There's actually a psychological term for it I just read called effective forecasting where we forecast what the fear is going to be of something that hasn't happened yet. And we do this. I live there. And the problem with that is is that we are, we, are, we are not very good forecasters. It's never as bad. And so that fear, that sense of that sacrifice um, is that, yes, I'm going to sacrifice my own fear, if you will. I'm going to sacrifice my own comfort. I'm going to sacrifice my own and just step through the door. And then see where God leads from there. The merchant, I mean the merchant, steps through the door to find that one pearl. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we find what's findable? How, if all of this is true, how, what, are we, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think the biggest thing that we can do is to answer this with prayer. To truly be Christ-centered, gospel-focused, kingdom-oriented people as we engage in our mission fields. The first thing we do is prayer. And I think this prayer happens in really two ways. Uh, and it's something that I'm happy and I'm glad that we focus on this every week, we, although we don't use this language to it. When we say that the kingdom is the healing power, I mean the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power, that first prayer has to be that we ask that that take root in us. That it take root in each one of us uh, at a very, very deep and, and, and personal level. That we come to God and say, I can't do this on my own because if I tried to create my own world, it would just be, it would stink and, and it would not be of you and, and I need to feel your gospel. I need, I need to soak your gospel into my heart. I need to remind myself every day that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. That Jesus came and lived and died a prisoner's death. That rose from the grave, conquering death and sin. And ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he lives with him in eternity. We have to set our own sets on that. We are the Beatitudes. We are the poor. And the poor in spirit. We are the merciful. We are the, we are the ones who are persecuted. Because we persecute. We are the ones who mourn. That we are the Beatitudes, and that is our starting point. And to know that this, this, this amazing gospel that changed the world, and that is changing the world, starts in our own hearts. And when we start there, when we start at that, at that place, and at no other, but when we start at that place, our love of God and our love for others is refueled and rekindled. And that healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power happens in us and it comes, it grows from the inside out. It's just like what we tell our high school friends. When they come to know about, when they come to know Jesus, we tell them, in order to uh, accept this gospel, this message, you don't have to change first. You don't have to change a thing about what you're doing right now, but accept this gift and God will change you from the inside 
out, then we can go and engage the kingdom. Then we can go and live into this new reality. But it has to start there first. It has to start with our own sense of, Jesus died for me and for you. Because there's a huge difference, and we probably know this, there's a huge difference between working for the Lord and being with the Lord. There's a huge difference, and all of us who are in ministry know that. You can work for the Lord. I can get up and I can give my first 15 minutes of each day to study, to to Bible and uh, reading and to prayer. Uh, and can work for the Lord, can work for a ministry, can go and be a teacher in a classroom, and I can work for the Lord and not have the fruit of the Spirit. I can do it all day. I, can, I work for the Lord all the time. But I'm stressed a lot. And I'm frustrated a lot. I get angry and I get tired. I'm not patient and gentle and kind. I'm not joyful. So we, there's a huge difference. And that's why we have to start with our own relationship with Jesus. It has to start with accepting this message that Jesus died for my sins, paid the debt that I can't pay myself through no merit of my own. And maybe that's some of you here. And maybe that's where you are. That that message has to come first. Before we can go out and change the world. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. Every day. I heard a story about Martin Luther, the reformer. Um, who said that every morning he would fill a sink of full of water. And he would splash water on his face with his hands. And he would say, I am baptized, I am baptized, I am baptized. This concrete, visible expression of God's love for him every day. And he knew that he was saved by grace, by faith in Christ alone. So the first way I think that we find this kingdom is to is to pray for God's love and his redemption into our own hearts. And the second is this. To ask God to show us a pearl. But to show us a pearl by giving us a burden. A burden for people in our mission field. To pray for that burden. To step through that door. Trusting that the Lord will open up another one. Because we're all missionaries. We really are. And our, our mission field is just where we live. It's where we shop. It's where we go to school. It's where we work. It may not be where we don't work. It, it's, it's where we are all the time. That's our mission field. God has placed us in a specific place for a specific time for Him. And as we pray for a burden, God will show us a pearl. A burden compressed is the pearl 
for the kingdom. I was meeting with a pastor a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and, and, and he said this to me. And he said, um, John, stop worrying about your career so much. He said, pray for a burden. Pray for a burden where you live. And if you don't, if God doesn't give you a burden where you live, then pray for a burden somewhere else and go to that place. So the Beaumonts are moving to the Bahamas. Because <laughs> those people really need Jesus. Um, pray for a burden. Pray that your, your heart would be warmed to the plight of others. That your, that your heart would be softened. And that no matter how jaded we get by the stuff that we see or the people we walk by, that we would have a burden for them. And one final thing. Notice that it's a pearl of great value. The kingdom's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl, he sold everything and bought it. It doesn't say when he found the pearl, as if there was just one It says when he finds one of great value. So as you're searching for the kingdom in your mission field and engaging what God is already doing in that mission field, prayerfully choose that one thing of what that may be. And for you, it may be a classroom. For you, it may be a ministry. For you, for others, it may be your neighborhood. It may be larger issues. But pray for that one thing. Thing of great value that God is going to use what makes you tick. He's going to take your gifts and your skills and your interests and He's going to use them to glorify Himself. He's going to take all of you, all of who you are, to glorify Him in His kingdom. So pray for that. What is that one thing for you? That one thing that God has preparing for you to do. Pray to receive the gospel. And if you have walked into this place, and I think another part of the beauty of this group is that there are some of you in here who, who have not made that commitment, that haven't, got, haven't taken that step. I know Richard and Chris and and any of us would be glad to walk with you and to talk with you, if that's you, about that. To receive this message of faith that was passed down to receive this gospel for ourselves every single day. And it's not just the first 15 minutes of the day, it's the other 23 hours and 45 minutes. Ask for a burden where we live. Because it is there. And we need to find it. And when you find it, that healing and renewing exercise of God's ruling power will begin to take root in you. And it will change you. No matter how long, if you've been walking with the Lord for 10 minutes or for 50 years, God will continue to change you from the inside out. And that renewing exercise of his power takes root in us and into 
our mission fields, into our communities where we live. And ultimately, ultimately, it is Jesus who is exclaimed. It is Jesus who is exalted. It is God's glory that is lifted up as he prepares the way before us. Let me pray for us. Gracious and heavenly God, I thank you for this day. Soak your your love deep into our hearts. Speak your gospel to us and to our hearts, into our minds, into our actions, into our thoughts. Have us latch on to you to take root in us so we can take that step. That we can walk through that open door to trust you above all else. To not trust in ourselves or our circumstances, but to trust in you. To find that one pearl and let us do all of these things, no matter what we do in word or deed. Let us do it all in the name of Jesus, the risen and living Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.